Today's podcast is sponsored by A. David Creation. Are you looking for fresh marketing perspectives for your painting business? How about effective planning and follow-through? The A. David Creation team specializes in marketing for painters, helping business owners grow their business, improve sales, and reclaim their time. Schedule your free 45-minute consultation at adavidcreation.com. That's one word, adavidcreation.com. Welcome to Paint Radio with your hosts, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Yeah, it is the APC podcast on Paint Radio where we only play the hits. We talk about growth, hiring, culture, marketing. What other hits? The number one hits, Emily, right? That's all we do at Paint Radio. It's true. Stick to the hits. That's why people <laughs> trust Paint Radio. And we're certainly doing that today because today we're talking about growth. We're trying to provide some thumbnails. We're trying to talk about maybe not everybody out there, but some basic structures, some basic, you know, meet you where you are. Talk about it. if you're at 500,000 revenue and you want to grow from there, here's what you should be looking at. That's what we're going to try to accomplish today. And of course, Emily and I couldn't do this by ourselves. So we brought on the pro, Linnea Blair, founder of Advisors on Target, friend of APC, TechFest presenter, longtime friend of the industry. Linnea, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Andrew and Emily. I'm really glad to be here. I always like talking with you, too, and looking forward to our discussion today. Heck yeah. You bring it every time. You're one of the most reliable speakers, presenters, thought leaders, influencers in the industry. So it's great to have you on the podcast. So again, we're going to throw out maybe three or four sort of typical sizes of a painting contractor and talk about for people who want to grow beyond that, you know, what they can do and and nobody better than Linnea to walk us down that path. So let's start. We'll go smallest to largest. So let's start with contractors right around the 250,000 annual revenue. So I guess we'll talk about what are sort of the hallmarks of that? What does that business kind of look like? Probably. And again, we're not trying to draw an exact picture of you. It's a caricature, but we're doing our best people. Cut us some slack. So (laughs) Linnea, the typical contractor who's sitting around 250,000 annual revenue. What, what does that business look like as far as employees type of work done? Paint us a picture. Thanks, Andrew. I think for most people that are in that size range, the owner is still probably painting, still in the bucket and doing maybe quite a bit of the painting. They may have one or two other painters that are working with them that they've hired on, maybe somebody that they went into business with that's a friend of theirs that they hired, or they've acquired a painter or two by word of mouth or something like that, but they have maybe a couple of guys working for them. And they are doing everything at this point. They're doing all the selling. They're probably doing some of the painting. They're supervising the jobs. They're doing the bookkeeping. They're pretty much doing everything. And that gets to be pretty tiring when you're doing all of that, wearing all of those hats. So most people, I think, that are in that space are looking to get out of it. And some of the things that we'll be talking today are some of the things that you can put in place to give you that leg up to the next level. Something that I want to set up here at the beginning is financials, right? For anybody that's growing to any level, wherever you are on this journey, what is your advice as far as investing back into your company? You don't get to the revenue number that you want to be at and then make the investment, right? You make the investment kind of first and with a plan of how that investment is going to bring in more revenue. Am I right? Yes. And it is difficult at first because a lot of times people start their business just kind of by the seat of their pants and they just kind of jump out there and do it. But somewhere into it, they realize, wow, I do need to start planning some more to make sure that I can keep doing this and that I have the reserves. One of my rules of thumb for people, and sometimes it's a little bit pie in the sky for people to do, 
but it's something for them to be thinking of at any level. And that is that you should be looking to have about three months of fixed expenses in reserves or at least the ability to get that money if you need to via a line of credit or something like that. So it's a good idea to have the reserves so you aren't always working to just meet the next payroll. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard hard to do at the very beginning, but that's something to be shooting for. And I think if people know that they should be shooting for that early on, the better. All right. So I think that's a fantastic benchmark. And at this, you know, drilling down to at this $250,000 revenue mark, thinking about growing to the $500,000 revenue mark, what kind of margin should you be looking at? Because revenue is obviously meaningless <laughs> if, if you don't have any profit. We said three months of cash reserves, but should you be making 30% gross profit, 50%? What should your margins look like on each job? I've done a lot of benchmarking of painters over the years. And what I've found is people that I've worked with is the average gross profit margin nationwide is around 45%, which is certainly acceptable. 50% plus is completely doable, depending on a couple of things. And the first of those things is your pricing. So it's very important that you're pricing your work well. And I think this is a mistake that people in the $250,000 or smaller type of company often are pricing themselves lower. They may have started off lower. They don't really know what they're worth and they may be just trying to get work. And so they price themselves lower than market. And that is often a big mistake for them because it's not going to be sustainable. First of all, they need to price their work well. They need to know what the going rate in their area is. And they also need to know their numbers and know what they need to actually make a profit in their business. But I would say they should be shooting for 50% gross profit margin. And so if they're pricing their work well and they're producing it well, meaning that the crews are bringing the jobs in on time, they should be able to achieve that or at least that 45% in many cases. So we're talking about also employees, businesses with employees versus businesses with subs, which can be a little bit different. So they should be shooting for that. And one of the things that I see sometimes with very small businesses is the owners don't really count their own time. So if their gross profit margins may be even higher than that 50% because they're not really counting their own salary as part of that direct cost, which they ought to be, but they often aren't. And so they may have an actually very high gross profit and also a very high net profit because they have very few overhead expenses and most of the money in that case is going to the owner for compensation. And they need a lot of that to go to them for compensation, but they also need to be thinking, as we talked about, to start saving that nest egg for their next step. So I heard one thing in there that I think is important too, right? You should be paying yourself at this point. You should be paying yourself a a salary. You should be accounting for that in your job costs. Yes. Yes. Even assigning yourself, say, $30 an hour towards the job. So whatever you put in, count it at that. And it's important, I think, also to, as a small business owner, to make sure that you do have a plan to pay yourself and not give yourself what's left over, Mm -hmm. um, but plan for a weekly or every two weeks actual paycheck and uh, form your company so that you are putting yourself on the payroll. Okay. That's great. And I will, you know, just as a side note to anyone who's listening to this, if you're thinking you're not hitting these targets or maybe, you know, your, your gross profit is, is maybe under 45% and you're not counting the cost of yourself on those job sites. And you're thinking, gosh, I really need to raise my rates. If you go to paintmag.com and click on paint radio, We have a number of sales podcasts there, and we've actually been covering strategies to raise your rates quite a bit the last couple of months. So there's two or three podcasts there that just talk about how you can raise your rates without your closing ratio going down too much that are super, super helpful. But I'm curious, you know, 
going from this, we, we kind of set this bracket up is someone who has, you've, you've got a couple of people probably working on the job site with you. You probably don't have anybody in the office. Am I right? Most often not. But this is a good time to start thinking about that. Okay. So that's what I was curious about is that what area of your business, if you're jumping from the 250000 to 500000 what is the next area of your business that you are going to be working to develop? Well, I think it really is the office and bringing someone in to start to help you with the bookkeeping is very important to handle various office tasks and answering the phone, talking to clients, interfacing with the crew people on various things. It's a really important position to have because it's that first step in getting more infrastructure into your business and handling some of the things that you can't handle. So over all the ranges that we're going to be talking about today, it's always moving yourself out of something that you've been having to do all of and delegate it to someone else so that you can grow. And so we're talking about somebody in the office. I mean, would you say it's pretty much up to the owner, like what the next piece is that they're going to hand off? Like maybe they don't like marketing, maybe they don't like sales, maybe they don't like scheduling, or is there something specific that they need to be focused on handing off at this stage? I think it's very important to start handing off some of the basic administrative tasks and a certain amount of the bookkeeping because that's a very time-consuming thing and it's something that a lot of owners aren't great at. Some are. I've worked with people who've gotten almost up to a million doing their own bookkeeping because they're very efficient at it themselves, Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not the case for most people. And to be able to have someone that's helping you get those invoices out to get the money to the bank, to return the phone calls, to set up the booking your estimating appointments, to answer customer questions so that there's not this list of 25 phone calls you have to answer at the end of the day after you're leaving your job site. So to me, that's a big one that everybody's going to need at some point in time. And it's really the logical for most people next step as far as an overhead person that's not a painter. You mentioned some of the things that you might want to hire, things that you don't like doing as much or that you're not great at, like marketing, like sales maybe, or like managing jobs. And as we get to the next hires, I think that's really important to really analyze your strengths, what you're good at and what you like to do, and what makes what you can do to make the business go the most, and then hire the other things out. Well, and so we talk a lot about planning, you know, planning for your growth, having this this growth be intentional. And that requires getting a lot of systems down on paper, determining how it is that you do things, how you can train someone, set them up for success in their new job. Is there anything around technology? We've been talking a lot about technology as well. Are there specific pieces of technology that you should be thinking about putting in place at this stage? Yes. And I think in the early stages of your business, number one, you should always be starting with QuickBooks as soon as you can. (laughs) That's a really important piece of software to be working with because you want to have that financial information gathered together in one place. And and so you can invoice people properly. You can see where you are as far as profit and loss and everything. It's very important. And I think in general, the more that you can be professional at starting from the get-go, the better. One of the things I mean by that is even at the earlier stages of your company, having a payroll system, and that's a piece of technology in a way, as well as an outsourced company, to get a payroll system to make sure that everybody is being paid through a payroll system and that you have that payroll tax reporting handled by this payroll company so that you don't have to worry about that. I think those are two, they're just not the ones that people want to think about so much, but they're two really important pieces of software, your financial and your payroll. Beyond that, I think at the earlier stages, you might be thinking about a simple customer relationship management software, CRM, 
You might have something simple, a simple one at that stage, but the, it's very important for you to start putting your customers and their contact information into a software so you have access to it. I can't tell you the number of people that when I've told them they need to start marketing to their past customers that they'll say, oh, well, I, I don't really have a list. They're all in my phone or all, they're all in file boxes or they're all here or there. They're not together in one place. So I think at least a simple CRM is very important also so that you can start communicating with these people, not just individually, but as a group um, when you're starting to get ready to market to them. Yeah, so, because once you bring that person in, right, you're going to have to, we're talking about selling essentially twice as much is what you're currently doing, which is probably going to require some marketing support. Yes, it definitely is. And one of the first places you want to be able to start with is marketing to your past customers and not just relying on the fact that they're going to call you back. And you're going to have to get out there and do additional marketing. And once you have people in your funnel, you want a way to contact them. So being able to have an email service provider, for example, as either as part of your CRM or as a separate piece of software. Very important. Also, ways to communicate with your team. Are you just texting them or are you using some other WhatsApp or Slack or GroupMe or something to be able to communicate with your team as a group or individually as well is an important thing. Estimate Rocket is proud to sponsor this APC podcast. Chasing down invoices, dealing with difficult customers, answering employee questions, and worrying about the competition undercutting your prices can make it seem that you'll never be able to take a vacation again. When you implement Estimate Rocket, everyone in your business can be on the same page. Jobs run more smoothly, costs are controlled, and every job is more profitable, no matter whether you're in the office or on the beach. Getting started is easy. And with their industry-best painting templates, you can hit the ground running, leaving more time for little Susie and less time battling the competition. Even better, Estimate Rocket offers a 30-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose except all that stress. Visit EstimateRocket.com today to find out how to spend less time dealing with the hassle and more time doing what you love. EstimateRocket.com Now, what about time management? Because one of the things we talked about was planning. You're talking about being in the bucket versus stepping out of the bucket and being more professional and having a more professional business and all of that stuff doesn't just happen by itself, right? You've got to start sitting down, writing down your systems, kind of figuring out, okay, so how are we going to go from two hundred fifty to $500,000 in revenue? What marketing are we going to do? How are we going to keep up on the estimating side of things? How many crew members are we going to need to be able to fulfill the work that we're selling? So how, as you're making this kind of transition, what should your time management look like? How much time should you be spending planning for this growth versus out on the job site? Well, I think at a minimum for a company at that size, you definitely want to spend some time at the beginning of the week and the end of the week in solitary planning uh, to plan a variety of things, what we're going to be doing this next week, because the the more that you can plan and not be driven by emergencies and emergency phone calls and things like that, the better you're going to be able to order your day, and then you're going to have more time to work on some of these other things. So I think weekly, beginning of the week, end of the week, pre-planning and at the end of the week, planning for the next week is definitely very important. I also like people to do a monthly, quarterly, and annual planning at any size. So at the beginning of the year, if you're sitting down at the end of the past year, evaluating what you've done, where you want to be, and what that's going to take for you to get there, and then you have kind of a map of where you want to go over the next year and next quarter, it helps you to plan your months better to have that. So if you know that you're going to need to hire one or two more people in the spring, then you know that's your game plan and you need to spend time 
on that task of hiring. For example, if you need to bring more leads in the door, you need to spend time on a quarterly basis setting up your marketing plan for the next quarter. What are we going to do? And then breaking out that time on a weekly basis to execute those things. And I think one of the most important things that any business person can do, regardless of what stage they are in the business, is to do time blocking and figure out what are my times that I can do these different tasks. So if my planning is going to be an hour here and an hour there, making sure those are on your calendar and those are times that you hold in very high regard and you protect them from other things. I think one of the mistakes I've seen people make at many levels, but certainly at the smaller level, is if they have a potential estimate, they'll just go out on it whenever versus having times that are set up, like these are my estimating days or these are my estimating times of the week, oh, Mrs. Customer, I can meet with you on Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday morning, which would you prefer versus giving them this wide open space and spend your day running around. So I think it's for especially a person who's running so many aspects of the business to have their days blocked out. This is the time of day I do job site visits. This is the time of day I do estimates. This is the time of day I do planning. For people who are unfamiliar with you, Linnea, I think it's clear now why you've been such a trusted source for business coaching in the painting industry. You really explain things in a very clear and concise way that's uh, easy to act on. So if listeners aren't clear yet on what we're doing here, again, we're trying to lay out four different sizes of company and how you can grow beyond that. We just did 250,000 level. We're going to hit 500. We're going to hit a million. And then we're going to talk about the people who are are at one, five to two, and they want to grow beyond that. It reminds me, I play a lot of tennis and in tennis, you have to, uh, self-classify, identify yourself as a 3-0 or a 3-5 or a 4-0 player. And each of those classifications is defined that, you know, whatever, you've got very reliable shots from all over the court. Your volley is reliable. You have one weapon, that type of thing. And so people use those parameters to try to classify themselves. And of course, a lot of people are struggle <laughs> to, uh, to honestly classify yourself. So before we dive into the 500 level, are there any aspects, uh, I mean, it's pretty clear what your revenue is, but when it comes to painting contractors sort of judging their strength or weakness at certain aspects of the business, are there any aspects of the business that people are particularly, I don't want to say bad at, but not as good as they could be as far as assessing their own strength, whether that is to what extent the business truly does revolve around them or their ability to delegate, their ability to communicate well, their ability to handle technology. Is there an area of business, Linnea, that you have found that contractors have a hard time being an accurate judge of themselves? Wow, that's a really interesting question. (laughs) I think most people, not just contractors, often (laughs) have difficulty being an accurate judge of themselves. And so it's, it's good to have other people you can bounce things off of. I think, and whether it's a a friend or a mentor or a coach or another contractor, it's always good to talk to other people and see how you're coming across and see what you might be missing. I don't know if that answers it well, but. (laughs) It does. So I was looking for an easy answer because that's me. I'm lazy. But your answer is even better because the, the answer is, you know, yes, we all have blind spots. We just don't know what they are. So we need accountability coaches. We need trusted kindred spirits we can talk to who can speak to us honestly. That's, uh, yes, that's an excellent, excellent answer. So thank you for indulging. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bear Dynasty Interior Paint. It's everything your clients want in a paint now all in one can. Featuring the most advanced stain repellency and scuff resistance to keep the surfaces of walls looking newer, longer. It has fast-drying technology and early block resistance, all with one coat hide guaranteed in over a 1,000 colors. It's their most durable, most stain-repellent, most scuff-resistant one-coat hide paint ever, exclusively available at the Home Depot. So why choose Bear Dynasty? 
Its advanced stain repellency blocks existing stains from showing through and minimizes penetration of new stains. Its scuff and mar resistance protects the painted surface from changes in appearance due to scuff, mar, and burnishing, making it ideal for high-traffic areas. It's one-coat hide, which is valid only when tinted to colors from Bear's one-coat hide color collection, saves time and money and labor. Its fast-drying technology reduces downtime between application and use, allowing a quick return to service. And its outstanding early block resistance provides a tack-free film that keeps painted surfaces from sticking together within four hours. By the way, darker colors may require additional dry time between coats and cooler temperatures or higher humidity may prolong drying time. Visit bearpro.com slash dynasty dash interior. Get those slashes and dashes right. Or contact your Bear Pro representative by visiting bear.com slash rep. Let's move on for the contractors who are sitting at the 500,000 annual revenue level. They want to get bigger. They want to grow. Maybe they've struggled with that. Maybe they just don't know where to start. Maybe they're just beginning to think about that process. So just like with the 250, let's start by drawing a thumbnail for us, Linnea, of what maybe a typical 500,000 contracting company looks like as far as their margins, their staff, the financials, that type of thing. Well, I think a a lot of businesses or contractors that are in the 500,000 level probably have, I would say, five to six employees at this point. Depending on the business and what the owner's shooting for, if they're shooting for growth, it's a different thing than if they're in the 500,000 level and that's where they're comfortable, which is perfectly fine for people that kind of want to stay in that level. Um, But there are people that sometimes want to move out of that but get a little bit stuck. And because there's some different steps that they need to take. So let's assume, I guess, for the sake of our discussion, that they're at 500,000 and they want to move out of that and to grow. At this point, you may have had somebody part-time doing bookkeeping and office stuff at your smaller level. But at the 500,000 level, you really need someone strong in the office. And it's important that you find someone that's got a good skill set, that's good with people, good managing customers, and good with bookkeeping unless you have an outside bookkeeper that's really supporting them in that role. This is very key to have that stability of the office, I think, because answering the phone is a big one, and you don't want it to be you. You don't want to be like one client I took on at one point was running an almost million dollar business off of his cell phone <laughs> and and he was running himself ragged and in order to grow the more things you need to be able to take out of the realm of just you and create this infrastructure so very important to be finding the right person to run your office and to be growing with you and at this point then you may have five or six people in the field and maybe you've had those same people for a while and you've gotten some trusted people that have worked for you for several years, but now it's time to really start moving on hiring more people. And one of the things that it's important to work with the team that you have now to let them know we're growing, we're growing. There's opportunities for you to perhaps with your experience raise up to be a crew leader and that we're going to be bringing some other people on and part of your job is going to be helping me train them. So creating a training program is a next step and helping your people become training minded, I think, yeah. is is a something to work towards and also to have them think of themselves as part of a larger team that's going places, really, if you want to grow and help them see the opportunity for them. And sometimes this is a place where businesses start to have some shifting in employees because you may 
realize there's some people that you had from day one in your company that aren't ready to move with you into the next level. But the whole hiring and training is extremely important in this phase because you're starting to create more of that organization. This is also a place where you're probably going to need some additional money coming in, some additional financing, whether it's in the terms of outside financing like loans, having a line of credit, or pulling money from your own profits to be able to grow because you're going to need some more infrastructure. This is a great time to start acquiring more vehicles so that your crews cannot be driving their own vehicles to the job site, but that you start to have a mini fleet, if you will, a couple of trucks at least for your field crew to drive. So that creates other things that you need to have like equipment and insurance. And and so you start to have a little bit more of that. You become more of a business than maybe the person at the 250 level. I love how you talk about sharing your vision, communicating with your employees, saying, look, this is where we are, but this is my vision for where we're going. And this is where I envision you growing into the future. And, and I need you to, you know, let's have, let's align our visions and let's see this as an opportunity. And you're right. Some will embrace that and some will not. And you have to be able to accept that for what it is. Maybe he'll grow with me and, and maybe he won't. What about trying to quantify this a bit, which I know this is all very, Fuzzy, we're trying to over-specify here, but from a financial standpoint, whether it's margins or you talked a bit about growing your access to capital, are there any other financial targets that bear mentioning? When you're at the 500000 and you're trying to build that structure, that groundwork to allow yourself to grow toward a million. I would definitely, if you're having a good year, look to getting a relationship with a banker and working to get a good line of credit because that's always something important for you to be able to fall back on. Hopefully you're not living on it maxed out, but you have that available to you as you're trying to make some of these growth changes. And you're going to need to acquire some debt and the best debt that you can have at this level is to have collateral debt where you're using financing to purchase vehicles or equipment and not just using credit cards to kind of run the business. This is a place where I think some businesses can start to get into trouble financially if they're living too much off the wrong kind of credit. So it's important to make your budget. And you all heard me talk about budgets many, many times. Um, But if you're budgeting for the year and what you expect to need to spend for growth, for additional infrastructure, then you you know what what it's going to cost and you know what your profit margins should be. This is another good time for you to evaluate what your pricing is. And it's also with the training, looking at your job profitability, trying to make sure that you make, uh, that you have the best gross profit that you can have so that more of that money is dropping down to the bottom line. And maybe in some of these years, maybe you take a little bit less as the owner. We never want to short the owner. I always like the owners to to uh, achieve their goals for their own compensation. But there's some years when you look at some of these profits should be set aside for future growth so that I can invest in these different things that I'm going to need to invest in. And putting things on your budget can really help you to see, is this going to work or is it not going to work? Or is this the year that I can afford to get an office or a shop? Or do I need to put that off to next year? Nice. And then to round out discussion of the people who are at the 500,000 annual revenue, as far as technology and also what the owner's schedule looks like, the time management, let's talk about that. Any ideas on technology that these contractors should be prepared to acquire and use? And then also, what should the owner's schedule start to look like? Okay. Uh, So as far as technology, I think at this point, you might see people investing, if they haven't already, in something like estimating software. I think this is an important time in in the business to start thinking about that if they haven't done it already, because at some point you're going to need to hire a salesperson and you're going to have to have a system for them to use, 
not estimating out of your head the way you know things should be <laughs> based right. on your past history. So that's an important one. Again, the CRM, maybe you have a more sophisticated CRM at this point. You're using some kind of scheduling, either program or calendar, so that you're scheduling your job so that everybody knows when the jobs are scheduled, not just you. Job costing is very important. And at this point, if you have somebody in the office, you have somebody that can help you with job costing. This is very important because as you're starting to have more crews, you want to see the different profitability of those different crews. You might have start to use some kind of job management software at this point, potentially, sort of depends on the person. But uh, I know some people use things like Basecamp or Monday.com or something like that. So they're starting to have more of a handle on where the projects are. As far as time management, I think at this level, the owner should have zero time in the field actually doing any painting work, unless this is going to be a lifestyle business where they really enjoy painting and that's their passion. They really want to do it. If you're planning to grow the business, you should not be doing any painting at all at this level. Your job is to sell and supervise and train And so I think you have to start thinking of yourself in these different realms. As far as managing your time, I'm still on the same, kind of the same thing for people at different levels. You might have to spend more time planning, more time in meetings with your teams, having meetings with your crew leaders, having meetings with your office person, those type of things on a regular basis to make sure that work is getting done, that you're informed, that they're informed. So putting more time in for meetings, I think, starts to become something you do at this point in your business. But again, calendaring, time blocking, so that you have different times of the day or the week for these different hats that you're wearing. That is incredible information. Like there's so much specific stuff in here that I think contractors are really going to be able to use. Um, but, but cruising along, cause I know we've still got a couple brackets to get through. We'll shift gears a little bit and start talking about how some of these basic principles change as you get larger. So you've successfully gone from 500,000. You've hit the coveted million dollar revenue mark, Woo-hoo! which is, which is a big one. <laughs> um, give us an idea of now what your staff and what your structure looks like at a million dollars of revenue. Okay. So you probably have 10 plus full-time equivalent painters in the field. You should have that office manager we talked about. And this is a time that we really see owners needing to think about hiring either a production manager or a salesperson. And I think this is where you look at yourself, what you're good at, what you like to do, and which of those tasks that you would more (laughs) rather not be doing so much of and start to look for that person to do one of those two. So definitely you're going to need somebody in one of those two roles at the million-dollar mark. And as you're thinking further ahead, both of those roles are going to need to get filled at some point in time. But for the first one, I would definitely look at your own skill set and what you would most like to hire out. I also recommend that you look at your team and that you be looking at your team all along the way and seeing which of these people on my team can I start moving in a direction of leadership? Does anybody have that qualification? Because I think the most successful transitions I've seen in some of these areas are very often when you bring somebody from your field team into the production manager role or into the sales role. You have so much flexibility with that because it's somebody that knows your company, knows your culture, and knows how you do things. And if they have the aptitude, that's a great way to segue into that next place. So that's one thing. Overall, the financials, I think, financials, the gross profit margin, I think we should always be shooting for that 50% mark if possible. And so I think that should be a constant, really. And then because your top line number is bigger, 
then there's more to flow down past that. So you're looking to other things that you're investing in at that level to continue to grow. And at this point, you really should be, if you haven't already, be thinking about an office or shop to house your organization because now your organization is growing. You're not working out of your house necessarily. You have your salesperson or your production manager and your office person that all need to have desks in the office and creating that place that everybody can call home to work from. And your fleet is going to be growing at this point. So that is a change. I would be shooting for what I've talked about in the past of a net operating profit before owner's compensation. So before you, your own compensation is put in there, that that net operating profit would be 20 to 25%. Because generally at this level, that's going to be enough to pay you a good amount, have money to invest in infrastructure upgrades and retained profit, as well as you know additional distributions that you might want to take for yourself personally. Okay, and this is before owner's compensation, correct? Is that the only right. thing that's not included in this number? Right. Okay. So, and, and generally, in a million-dollar business, it's going to translate to, let's say, if the owner's taking $100,000, in W-2 salary, that's probably going to translate to about 15% maybe in net operating profit after owner's compensation. But most owners... I would say the majority of companies I work with are S corporations. And so they take part of their compensation in W-2 salary and then additional compensation and distributions. Really quick, just as a little side note, anybody who's in this space, because now we're starting to talk about obviously more complex financials, right? It's not just gross and net. We're talking about distributions, that kind of thing. Any thoughts or ideas on places where people can learn a little bit more about financials at this stage? I think it's it's often good for people to take courses in learning more about financials. I think that's mm-hmm. a, a good place to start. I actually do know many business owners who have a degree in finance before they even start their business, which helps. Um, yeah. But without tooting my own horn, I guess you'd say I do offer webinars and training on this subject to help people get more conversant with their financials. So. I guess they can watch out for things like that. And that's great because it is like just just understanding how you should be running things now and how you can plan for things to change. And financials isn't always an easy topic. And for those people who don't have financial degrees, I think courses are a fantastic idea. So we've kind of talked about, you know, who you're hiring next, getting a gut check on whether or not that's going to be a salesperson or a production person, depending on your strengths and people in your organization. If you've got somebody that might be really strong at one or the other, where is our technology kind of changing and growing at this stage? And what does our average day slash week look like as an owner? Well, assuming that people have implemented some of the technology that I suggested in earlier stages, if anything, they really need to be getting more sophisticated with their CRM, sales tracking. It's very important, especially if you're starting to think about hiring a salesperson, that you have the ability to track their activity and their sales so you know if they're hitting their goals, what their close ratio is, and even if they're going out on the right amount of estimate appointments to do what they need to be doing. And usually that could be part of your CRM or it could be a separate piece of software that people might be using like, let's say, Pipeline or PipeDrive or Salesforce or something like that. But generally, it's often integrated with whatever your CRM is. Am I right that what you're trying to accomplish with this technological jump, I guess I would say, is is that you are able to see more in kind of like a dashboard type scenario because you're not going to be as ingrained in everybody's life. Right. If you're wanting them to grow in their position and you're not going to be with them all day, every day, you need to know what they're doing and what their results are and they need to have key performance indicators. 
And I guess other pieces of software that you might think about is if you haven't implemented a project management software, that might be something you do at this point. I see a lot of people getting started with a GPS at this point um, because now they basically have a fleet of vehicles and you want to be tracking what's going on with those vehicles, where people are, what sorts of situations that there might be in or where they are if you need to send them to a different place or things like that. So it's another level of oversight in your company. Not everybody does that, but I think it's a helpful thing because another big expense you have at this point in your business is paying for all of these vehicle expenses. So all of the gas, all the maintenance, um, all the insurance, For all these vehicles, I think that's a place where people start to need a little more oversight. And then this kind of comes to how you spend your day, too, because as your company grows, you're going to be spending more and more of your time either planning or having meetings with people (laughs) to make sure that they're on track with where they need to be. And you're probably still doing a major part of, let's say, the selling part of the business. And that's quite often where an owner is at this point. They're still doing, even if they've hired a salesperson, they're still maybe doing the majority of the selling. But as you're looking to grow into that next level, you're going to have to have other people doing more of the selling. And you'll be dialing yourself back on any of those activities that aren't. CEO level as you move on to the the larger levels of running your company. So again, more time probably in planning. You probably have daily planning time. You have time that you should be setting aside for meetings. Um, A lot of people hate meetings, but meetings are very important. I think you should be having a meeting with your crew leaders Or if you have a production manager, your production manager should be having a a meeting with your crew leaders on a weekly basis. You should be meeting with whoever's on your admin team at this point on a weekly basis. You should be having a sales meeting with your sales person or persons at this point on a weekly basis. Maybe you have an overall management team meeting once a week. These meetings don't need to be long, but they need to be focused. You need to have an agenda so that you're keeping your finger on the pulse of all these different areas and that communication is shared between you and all these other people in the company so that you know what's going on and they know what you're working on, what your initiatives are and what new things are happening in the company. Look at that. In just a little bit more than 30 minutes, we've already grown to one and a half million, and we're not even tired. We are killing it. We couldn't have done it without you, Linnea. So final step, at least for this podcast, let's talk about the companies they've achieved. They're sitting at one and a half million, maybe two million in, in annual revenue, but they feel like they could do more. They've got more in them. They've got desire. They're ready to do more. Let's bring it home, talking about this group. So let's start off like we do with all of them, Linnea. Just talk a bit, paint us a picture. What does the typical $1.5, $2 million contracting business look like? Where should they be sitting? Well, I think as we're talking about getting to that $2 million level, things have to shift because a lot of people can get stuck for a long time (laughs) at that $1.5 million level. So you've got – and there's maybe a comfort level there. Maybe you have that one or two or three people on your overhead team. You might have a salesperson, a production manager, and an office manager, and you're kind of cruising along. But to get to the next level over that, to move to a million, you're definitely going to be needing more sales. So you need someone else to be selling. So you probably need to bring on a second salesperson. And you may need additional person in the office just because you're doing more jobs generally. You need to ramp up the marketing plan, the marketing dollars to move the sales engine forward. And you need to hire, which is the hard part right now. Everybody knows that it's been very hard for the last year. I do see things opening up a little bit, I think, from what I'm hearing. But the hiring has got to be one of the biggest pieces unless you're going to use a partial employee, partial sub-model, or unless you're looking to, say, acquire another smaller company, that's another way that you could grow. 
But these are some of the things that you would be thinking about as you're trying to move over the $2 million mark. And again, more and more of your time is going to be spent being a CEO, and you need to realize that and be willing to dedicate the time to that, even if you have to learn how to be a better CEO versus doing what's just in your your own comfort zone of what you're best at, which maybe is selling. Would some kind of, are are there some HR systems out there that we might want to start thinking about at at this stage, jumping from, you know, 1.5 to 2? Human resources is so important at many levels of running a business, but certainly it becomes more and more important the larger the organization Mm -hmm. grows. And one thing I'll say is that at some point along the way, and we talked about systems and processes and it's policies and procedures are a very important thing. And so probably back when you're at 500,000, you should be really putting together a uh, employee handbook and having policies and procedures for what happens at different things. What is our vacation policy? What is our policy for vehicles? What is our policy for using your phone during working hours? What is there a break policy? What is, you know, all of these different things. And so spelling those things out and having a procedure for them is so important to growing your business so the owner doesn't have to be making decisions on the fly every time a problem arises with an employee or every time an employee comes to you and asks for a loan or or asks for time off, you want to have a policy around that. Um, beyond that, I think it's really, really important to have a team of, of advisors around you as you grow. So not only financial advisors, but an HR consultant is a great person to have as a resource for you, somebody who's conversant with the employment laws in your state so that you don't go wrong when you're hiring somebody or firing somebody or somebody that you can bring an issue to and discuss it with them. Many, many things that you could talk about there, um, but I would definitely recommend that you have an HR consultant. And sometimes you have HR resources that come with your payroll company as well. This could go down. As the most power-packed, time-efficient <laughs> podcast we've ever done. And you get 100% of the credit, Linnea. That was tremendous. That was, it was just so much information. Of course, it's not meant to be – it's a general roadmap. It's to inspire people to tackle the growth that they've been thinking about. It's to get them from doing nothing to doing something. And that is what we did today. Linnea, that was tremendous This is why Linnea is one of the favorite coaches in the industry. Learn more about her at advisorsontarget.com. Linnea, tremendous work. And now you've got more coaching to do after this. I tell you, you're like a marathon runner. (laughs) Feels like it sometimes. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on today. I really enjoyed talking with both of you. We loved it. It was awesome. Fabulous stuff. There's a lot of growth potential out there in what you're doing, contractors. And one thing is for certain, one constant, however quickly, however greatly you grow, APC is going to grow with you. You can always find resources regardless of what stage you're at at paintmag.com. Love you. Have a great day. Keep growing, everybody. 